Hi, and welcome to Make Space for Nature from Nature Scott, the podcast that celebrates Scotland's nature and landscapes. I'm Kirsten Guthrie, and in each episode, I, along with my co-presenters and guests, will help you connect with and take care of our amazing natural world. In this episode, Nature Scott staff Fiona Leith and Claire Gordon chat to Christina Riley, the founder of the Nature Library, a pop-up library which travels to festivals and events around Scotland. Christina explains how the book collection has evolved and why taking stories to local communities is helping more people appreciate and make space for nature. Hello Christina and welcome to the Make Space for Nature podcast and thank you for joining us. How are you today? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. Good. And given that we're going to be discussing your travelling library, where are you today? (laughs) Um, I'm actually, I'm at home in Ayrshire today. Um, Although this weekend I was up in Ullapool with the Nature Library. Lovely. Christina, welcome. You're the founder of the Nature Library, which you beautifully describe on your website as a reference library and a reading space which connects people to land, sky and sea, aiming to bring awe and wonder for the world into the everyday. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the Nature Library is and and why you created it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the Nature Library is a travelling library. It's a reference library in the sense that it's only in places temporarily. So people are invited to come and read the books while they're there, um, but you can't take the books away. Uh, So it travels to different places across Scotland And it really just started because I was reading all of these books and really loving them, um, was quoting them constantly and just recommending books to people, like giving them books to borrow. And I just thought, well, wouldn't it be really lovely if I could put them all in one place and just kind of treat it as a a pop-up library somewhere? So I did that in Glasgow for just two weeks and it went quite well so I just kind of kept moving along and taking it different places and yeah I think in terms of just you know bringing that awe and wonder into the everyday which is what I think these books can do among many things that they do it's it was something along this idea of like reading as well as going out in nature is always considered this luxury or this kind of getting away from the real world and I was finding it was having the opposite effect it was this kind of more acute kind of understanding of, of what was going on. So I just thought any way to share that would be a good thing, hopefully. That's brilliant. That's that's so interesting, Christina. Um, so which books in particular do you have in the Nature Library and how do you choose which new ones to add to your collection? And then just to add to that question, do you have a personal favourite? Hmm. Um. I have absolutely no method of, of acquiring them, to be honest. Um, it's just kind of what captures my attention. It started off with my own books at home, and then I've just slowly kind of grown from there. So just whatever kind of I get recommended, which is I love because I think you can kind of get into your own little bubble of books and writers that you like and styles you like. So I love getting recommendations from people. I've been having like some visitors and also some writers have donated books to the library, which has been really lovely um, and just kind of starts to to grow it in other forms. I can see books and remember who gave that to the library, which I really enjoy. And so it's really just, yeah, it's been steadily growing over time. It's been three years now, I guess, since it first started. Um, but it holds everything, everything from memoir and kind of general fiction, travel writing, science fiction and fantasy, 
uh, art and philosophy and science, just trying to figure out all the subcategories of nature writing. <laughs> but um, for a favourite, I I don't think I could choose like one favourite. It probably changes all the time, but I do try and, and think what would be my favourite. And I think the only way I could choose a favourite is just to think of the writers who always come to every location. So with each location, there's a different theme, depending where it is. And uh, there are certain writers like Rachel Carson, Robin Wall-Kimmerer, um, Nan Shepherd, and Kathleen Jamie, who are just always there regardless. So I would say they're the kind of foundation of the Nature Library at the moment. That's interesting that you, you change the content of the library depending mm -hmm. on the location. Could you tell us a little bit about the places, the locations you've taken the library since it started and maybe why some of those locations have perhaps been important in helping tell the stories of Scotland's natural world? I have this vision of these shelves teetering on cliff edges. It's maybe not quite so on location as that, but talk us through where you've been and why. Don't give me ideas. <laughs> Although uh, that that thought just yeah makes me quite nervous to think of the books near the cliff edges. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's I mean the main considerations for any location is just that it's it's public and it's free to access, and you know you can get different people passing through. So apart from that, it's really just as long as it has some shelves and some nice places for people to sit and enjoy the books, I'm quite happy. Um, so the first couple of locations were like public art spaces and cafes. And then it's been in art galleries and museums. Um, the last three have been a like a marine conservation centre, um, a cocktail bar and a ferry terminal. So um, not all the same place, but um, yeah, kind of get a bit of a range. So yeah, so I kind of like to, now that the collection is growing, especially like you can tailor it to, to where it is and kind of explore different themes a bit more broadly, which I've been really enjoying. So, Christina, climate change and nature loss can feel like quite alarming subjects, but stories are a way of starting conversations between people. Which writers and books do you think have had the power to really connect their readers to nature most successfully? Yeah, I mean, I think something that I love about these books and then also just literature in general is that they all harness this power in very different ways. And I think that it connects with different people in different ways. Uh, so I think the really important thing is that all of these stories can be heard so that people do have that opportunity to connect with them. For me personally, I really love books that, I think this especially comes across in some fiction books that they kind of sneak in themes of environmentalism um, and stewardship over the, the land even if the book itself isn't directly about the natural world. So um, there's one called Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead by Olga Tokarczuk, and it's described as a murder mystery, but it's very much um, the land is such a big part of that book. And then Ursula K. Le Guin, who's a science fiction writer, but again, the landscape almost interacts with the characters and she really explores different ideas of like, who is a hero or what is heroic? And when we're thinking of climate, change and the things that are happening within the environment and how we interact with it she kind of can flip things around in really interesting ways so yeah I really love that and I think yeah this it's kind of it's quite indirect I suppose the way that that element of changing the way that you think about the natural world but I think that's what I really like it's just enough to get those 
kind of cards turning to get you thinking about different different things. And then at the other side of the spectrum, there's the really direct books that really just explore those issues of the climate crisis and put it in a in a way that you understand really, which sounds really simple, but it's such an overwhelming subject and something that's happening in the world that's quite overwhelming. So to have someone who has that talent to kind of hold these things together and tell it in a way that we can grasp uh, is really important, I think. That's fascinating, thinking of all the different genres and how they maybe touch on it overtly or, or not so much. A personal favourite of mine is Amy Liptrot, who's obviously a current nature writer, and how she blends sort of urban living, digital experience and, and nature observations. And I think it can be really powerful, maybe particularly for young audiences. Do you think nature writing has inevitably evolved as the crisis that the natural world has faced have changed do you see that in the books in the library yeah absolutely I think writing in general and as our experiences change that will translate to books um our digital experiences and these city lifestyles they're already blended really so I think from the moment you you wake up and you boil the kettle and you you know cook your breakfast and check your phone and start your car like nature is involved in all of these different things so it's not really confined to just the beaches and the rock pools and the wildflower meadows. We don't go out to it. It's just kind of already there. So I think books like Amy Liptrotz and, and so many others just kind of take us through these interconnections. Um, and again, similarly, like they just pull it all into focus and make it all make a bit more sense amongst all the mess, um, really. So, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting because especially, yeah, like, Amy Liptrot, um, I really am really excited to read her new book. I haven't yet, but I think it can just, it could be in the nature writing section and it can just as easily not be. And I think that's the case with a lot of these new nature writing books in that it's something that is in all writing almost. You know, it's quite hard to write and not acknowledge the environment. And especially now with what's happening, you almost feel like it would be a choice not to mention it because it's just so prevalent. Yeah, like I was in a bookshop the other day and I think the only area, the only section that I didn't go into was the war and history section. But then I suppose like the environment would be so affected by these things. So maybe I, I should be delving in there and, and seeing what could what could be put into the nature library. So yeah, it's it's everywhere. That's interesting when you think of things like uh, disasters such as Chernobyl or people experiencing war at the moment and the power of nature as a space for solace as well as in literature. Absolutely, yeah. It's, you know, I think sometimes you think of nature, people can think of nature as kind of separate and on its own, which is something that we talk about a lot, I suppose, when talking about nature writing, but it is, it's just, it's not that we've lost that connection, it's just that you almost forget that it's there so it's just yeah paying more attention to those those things okay so continuing that theme of connection with nature i'm sure you're aware that scotland's celebrating its year of stories this year 2022 so what do you think telling stories about nature can do to connect us with it and i suppose ultimately care more about the emergencies of climate change and biodiversity loss yeah i think it's such a an overwhelming thing um you know global events if you could call it that um, that we're all going through and I think 
there's a lot of information to try and grasp um, and information that's changing all the time as well. So I think books are just an option. It's just another route into knowing which we all need, really. We all take in information in different ways. Um, it might be art, it might be writing or song or science research and stories. We love stories. We love hearing stories and we love telling them. That's just part of what it is to be human, I think. So they celebrate curiosity and this joy of discovering. And if you can tie that in with this information that you know we all really need to know, it's, it is important that we all understand it, even if not to the full extent um, in every element of it, because our brains can only hold so much, I think. But um, stories are ways of just really making it a bit more tangible and a bit more human. The Nature Library for me personally started because you know, stories were touching on something that news cycles were not when it comes to the climate crisis. It's, um, you know, I was, I knew what was going on and I did care about it and I was signing the odds petition. And then I read Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, which was actually, it was published like a year, 60 years ago yesterday, apparently. So, um, but yeah, I was just floored by, it was just a mirror image of what was happening still. And I think that really struck a chord when you see that side by side. And again, written in a way that connects to you somehow. Because, um, yeah, I was seeing like, even this week, you know, you've got the people are furious at the UK government for this attack on nature. And and you've got, and then you read Silent Spring and you just think, like, how is this happening? What's changing? So, so what people do with that information is, you know, you never know. But I think just having those stories there to put things into context is really, really important. A mobile nature library is a great way to encourage this nature connectedness that we're discussing for people who perhaps, for whatever reason, can't access their adventures in the outdoors. Do you see firsthand, Christina, the effect that reading this writing has on people when they visit and when they spend time with your books? Yeah, it's been really rewarding seeing that happen and especially this year, being able to be at the library again um, for a long time over lockdown, it was in Edinburgh and I, I wasn't there with it. So just being able to, to speak to people when they're they're visiting has been really lovely. But I think one of the great pleasures of books is that ability, as you said, like it, it can take us places that we've never been and, and never could go. And I found that especially during the COVID pandemic and still, you know, today and alongside that with a global need to kind of travel less all of these things coming together is making this ability for books to take us to new places you know all the more important I think um you know there's a lot of narrative with nature writing or nature well-being I suppose and saying that you should go out into the hills and go out and see nature but you know as you said not everyone has the ability to do that and and maybe not everyone wants to go out into the hills and that's okay as well you know we all have different ways that we can connect to the natural worlds and or strengthen those relationships and and books are just one of many really there's a great billy connolly quote about books and um, where he says books are your ticket to the whole world they're a free ticket to the entire earth and i just think that's that's exactly what it is and when like with libraries it's free and you just think that's it almost it shouldn't feel so radical but the fact that that is available to us just feels very special <laughs> So, Christina, perhaps you could read for us from one of your favourite excerpts of nature writing that you have in the library so that our listeners can maybe get a sense of what's available and share in the enjoyment of Scotland's Year of Stories with you. 
Yes. So I've got um, two kind of short ones. So one which is from Rebecca Tamash is Strangers, which is on climate grief. And then I have another little nugget of joy of one of my favorite Ross Day excerpts. So hopefully they balance each other out a little bit. Acts of true climate grief are being seen. Small shoots of direly needed mourning. In Iceland this year, a group of around 100 people met to mourn and commemorate the melted Arch Glacier. In the space where it once was, a plaque was erected saying, Arch is the first Icelandic glacier to lose its status as a glacier. In the next 200 years, all our glaciers are expected to follow the same path. This monument is to acknowledge that we know what is happening and what needs to be done. Only you know if we didn't. As people gathered to mourn the lost glacier, their mourning also gave birth to this memorial, which looks forward as well as back. This non-human wake was about deep and terrible loss, but also about what can be done and what must be done to stop even more loss in the future. Only you know if we did it. In this act of profound climate grief, Iceland showed the possibility for a genuine mourning that does not throw us into inescapable despair. This grief is the fuel to try and change the conditions in which we find ourselves. Grief may be the worst suffering a person can experience, and in its agony, we see the cost of doing nothing. If we have any wisdom, we will try and heed the knowledge that such profound pain gives us. So that was Rebecca Tanash, and then this is Ross Gay. So he has this book called The Book of Delights, where every um, day he finds a delight. So this is just one very short one, which is number 50, uh, called Hickories. My friend Michael and I met today to put together the order for the nut grove the city has asked the community orchards to plant and oversee. Hazelnuts, pecans, bark nuts, a mix of heart nut and butternut, hickories. How long until the hickories start making their fruit? I asked Michael. He said, oh, they'll be in full production in about 200 to 250 years. Thank you for those readings, Christina. Nature Scots Make Space for Nature campaign provides practical ways people can look after wildlife and help reverse nature loss. And we're wondering how you make space for nature in your life when you don't have your nose in a book. Well, I recently moved back to the coast. So if I'm making space for nature, it's it's usually there. You know, I like to go swimming at high tide or looking at rock pools and at low tide. So yeah, no matter what time of day or whatever the weather, it seems to be something on the beach that I can always make space for. And with my work as well, um, I kind of studied and trained as, as a photographer. So always kind of staring at the coast in some way. And then in 2020, I joined the Our Seas Coalition and through that met lots of people who are campaigning for better protection of Scotland's inshore waters, which has brought me to kind of photographing organisations like Sea Wilding. And I ended up, I was very lucky to be on a snorkeling artist residency up in Ardfern um, for the Argyle Hope Spot. So yeah, I think some of my favourite books have actually been the ones that kind of take you underwater and, and give you that experience so yeah if I'm not reading I'm enjoying spending time underwater. So Christina do you have future plans for the Nature Library to tour further or host events and how can people keep track of the library as it moves around? Yeah so Ullapo was the final scheduled event for this year um, although I'm always sort of open to looking at and open to new places so 
you know, and never, I say it's the last one for now, but we'll see. Um, and for future plans, I mean, originally I hoped that it would one day be a permanent space and, you know, like a, a real library where people could have a library card and, and actually check books out and take them home, just knowing that there is a permanent space for them to come back to. But I've really enjoyed taking the books to different places and meeting new people, adapting the collection to those different places has been really fun. So, yeah, I think I just, I'm going to be figuring out the logistics of the benefits of a permanent space or traveling, or if it's possible to do both and, and what other people might prefer. I've been talking to people about kind of places it's not been yet as well. So still trying to plan locations for next year. But yeah, I think it's just a bit of planning to be doing. And thankfully, one of the things that has been really special about this project is that it's put me in touch with really brilliant and encouraging people like different librarians and booksellers and writers and readers. So I can always talk to people for for advice and just see see what could be done. In terms of yeah, how to keep up with, with where it is going, I would say it's on the Nature Libraries on social media, Instagram and Twitter at the Nature Lib. Um, LIB and there's the website as well but it usually goes up on social media first but yeah I think I just want to keep going and just keep bringing it to different places or just keep bringing these books to people in whatever form that that can happen in I think it's just important that libraries exist that more libraries are made and that there's more support for the existing ones I just think they are a gift (laughs) to people. Thank you so much for joining us today, Christina. We found it so inspiring and I'm sure our listeners have too. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Make Space for Nature, please leave a review, follow us and share with others. If you'd like to find out more about how you can connect with and help protect Scotland's natural world, go to nature.scot.com.